earlier conversation with Adrian about uh, reading and uh, acquiring a lot of really useless information that only comes in handy uh, when you are playing, uh, you know, bar quiz, uh, trivia, bar trivia quizzes, is the fact that I've suddenly forgotten, and I've been trying to recall for the last two weeks, uh, Bright Hugh Masigela's outstanding autobiography is still grazing. The original cover, so there's a mul- there's a few covers because it's been published a couple of times. It's been in reprint a couple of times. But the original cover where you see a young Bright Hugh Masigela on the streets of Soweto jumping in the air with a trumpet in hand and people in the background. That picture was actually shot by a very iconic photographer uh, that I'm now forgetting who it was. And if memory serves me correct, I think that trumpet was given to him by Miles Davis. I could be correct, but there is a connection there with other jazz legends um, in terms of who gave him the trumpet and who shot the picture. I came across this information years ago. I archived it in my brains, but now my brain has filed it so far back down that I can't access it. Um, that is our musical selection, Bright uh, Huma Segela with Stimela, coming through the first of many musical accompli- uh, accompaniments that have been chosen by our guest presented this morning and he needs no introduction he is born of Soweto and uh, he's been at the forefront of South African politics for numerous years now as a young man one of the youngest leaders uh, to come out and lead South Africa's biggest opposition party Uh, and then subsequently to that resigned um, causing all kinds of commotion on the streets of Twitter and in the political scene uh, with everybody trying to figure out why, why, why. Uh, But the one thing that we do know about him is that he instills some kind of hope in most South Africans. Um, You know, he's, he's that beacon of light that a lot of people, when they mention his name, they mention it with, with, with great positivity. I'm talking about, of course, none other than one South Africa movement leader and founder, uh, Mr. Musi Maimani. Twitter's favorite Muruti joins us on the line to be our guest presenter for the first installation of uh, Guest Presenter 2022. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning and good morning to fellow South Africans. Happy, happy, happy 2022. I don't know if you still can say it on the 9th of January, but I imagine... (laughs) It will hold until we get paid again. So, good Absolutely. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Absolutely. We are black after all, so we'll say it until uh, eventually we just forget. <laughs> um, I hope you've had a, a restful and, and beautiful December. What do politicians do? What do pol- political leaders do in December? You know, strangely, I... Um, I used my December a lot to not only prepare for the following year, but, Mm. um, you know, invariably the year becomes so busy Mm -hmm. that I found myself, uh, you know, catching up with my kids, Mm. uh, working out um, where they're at, and uh, we traveled uh, across the country a little bit. Yeah. And also just reconnecting with my wife, who uh, obviously in in the year things get so busy. But it's been a... It's been a different one from the usual. I mean, you know, South Africa, is, it feels like a country that never sleeps. So yes. in some ways, whilst on one eye you are resting, on another eye, of course, we had the tragic, um, uh, it's not, you know, the, the death of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, that, mm. that kind of, 
in some ways, uh, was a moment in our December. And then it felt like as the year began, mm. we had parliamentary fires and feels like, you, 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 you know, as, as you're starting to get into rest, things pick up again. But, mm. but it was a pleasant December, yeah. Yeah, I, I must admit, uh, you know, just looking and experiencing world through uh, civil servants and, and political leaders, uh, oftentimes I think a lot of South Africans forget, especially when they are criticizing y'all throughout the course of the year and laying blame at your feet, they forget that the real tangible sacrifices that your families, uh, you know, your partners, wives, husbands, children, uh, really take on during the course of the year because there is no time for, for y'all to selfishly have that much-needed quality family time. It's go, 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 go for 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 people in the political space and it never ends and as a result you miss a lot of milestones and a lot of important moments in the lives of your family and loved ones yeah i think you know it and in many ways i i have i have a picture of nelson mandela's cell on my desk Mm. often and i always remind myself that many have paid a deeper sacrifice than the one we pay mm. you know in many ways i just think i still get to see my kids he couldn't get to see his own and then many others so yeah. at some level you've got to always keep the why alive mm. but at the same time is that it doesn't change the fact that um sometimes it does it, it is an expensive uh, calling it is a tough job in yeah. that sense in that um you know now i'm a father of three kids and when i reflect on the lives of the first two and the third one, mm. you realize often how it's been different to watch them all grow up. They're growing up in different eras, different mm. times. And for some, for the first two, I can't remember when uh, some of their milestones they hit. And for others, you do that. But we, mm. we, we've, we've as a family know that our service to the country is a thing we do as a family. It's mm. not just Papa Upisika, this thing. And yeah. the rest of us are just supporting actors and actresses we're, we're all part of it and i always invite my kids to say even in your little way wherever you are mm. try and do your best for the country because at least all of us then are engaged in something about how do we serve the people of this country Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a familiar voice. Uh, if you're hearing it this morning, of course, you know it is the voice of uh, Mr. Musi Maimani, a founder of uh, the One South Africa movement uh, and also leader of that organization. Once upon a time, uh, the leader of the Democratic Alliance as well. Um, and he's a man who's no stranger to, to South Africans and, of course, the South African landscape. Uh, you, you know, you, you get likened to, and for anybody, by the way, who thinks this is going to be, because it's SAFM, it's going to be a politically charged conversation. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. It's not. Uh, <laughs> at least for, for my little half of it before uh, Musi takes over with uh, his own guests a little bit later on in the hour. Uh, I think it's important at times, I always say that, um, you know, it's important to get to know people from a deeper personal level as much as they're willing to share with you, of course, respecting those boundaries in order for you to understand a lot of what drives them in their work and in their purpose. And oftentimes, especially when we deal with political leaders, uh, getting that sort of interpersonal relationship with you guys 
gets very difficult. Um, and, and, and South Africans miss the essence of, you know, of who you are as a man, as a dad, as, as a son, as a, as a husband, um, because all of that really makes up who Musi My Money is and, and, and what drives your purpose as, as a South African leader. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, sometimes what's, what's really good fun is that it's part of the aspect of South African politics mm. that we haven't asked a lot about our leaders. You know, I think even when I reflect on heads of state, mm. if I said to 10 South Africans, list all the first ladies mm. from President Mandela to today, I think you may find that maybe three may be able to get the entire order correctly because yes. we don't always promote the public value of family. And 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 for me, that's a you know if you like, uh, my wife always says your first constituency is your family. You know? mm. So so I guess I guess that's that. And and I've got you know uh, two beautiful girls, and I'm trying to raise strong women mm-hmm. um, in this country. I tell them they can do whatever they like, and I've got a a great young boy who's who's who's, who's going up well and is a big footballer and so <laughs> and so in, in many ways like you know despite the chaos of public life yeah uh, family and what we do how we drive that still remains fundamental to us yeah. as, you know that's what we try and do get right you know are you a different dad uh, you know to to your two girls versus to the kind of dad you are to your boy I think, you know, obviously everyone wants to say, you know, they're the same for everybody. But I, I've, I've found that, you know, girls are a lot closer to their father than boys are. Mm. I think that, you you know, most parents would affirm that. I can see my son is a lot closer to his mother. Mm. And um, I can see that girls are much closer to me. It doesn't mean I'd love them any more different. Mm. It's just that, but, 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 you know, one of the things that has become... My daughter once, I, I, I managed to get my son um, a video from one of the sports stars because he was very nervous about going to play a game and all of those things. And so I thought, if there's a perk to my job is that I've got access to mm. many other people. So I thought, I'll call, I think at the time it was Kahiso Rabada. I said, Kahiso, can you please just send a video to my son and just tell him he's going to be okay. Mm. And Kahiso did that. And of course, my son was like, Fantastic. My daughter watched this thing and was like, you know, I also play sport and I also want to compete. And I realized that, you know, at times we have different expectations for for boys versus girls. And, and I've now had to settle it earlier on to say we raise strong girls if they want to play football, if they want to become doctors, lawyers, whatever they want to do, I'm going to make it possible. Because I think we live in a country often where, where I think women... Um, are almost seen in certain instances as second-rate citizens. And I think given the history of our country and gender-based violence, I mm. think that's something that, as fathers, we need to be at the forefront of fighting the fight for. So so I think I'm a lot more determined and working hard on my girls and try and make sure that my son knows how to treat girls mm. uh, because I feel that that's part of the responsibility that we've got. And ultimately, you know, I always tell my kids, all three of them, I tell them, look, your mother, your mother and me were here before you. Mm. You guys are going to leave us. So I guess when it's said and done, I'm here with her. Mm. There's a team here. And if you try and come between it, then 
then there'll be war. So I think <laughs> I think part of the responsibility, at least as a father, I think, is to love my kid's mother as best as I can because I think that also helps them know that priorities sit in a particular way. There we go. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then uh, we come back with uh, Musi Maimani, uh, leader of One South Africa Movement. He is our first guest presenter for 2022. Uh, we're going to get into the world of leadership when we come back. And then a little bit later on the show, he's going to introduce us to a very close friend of his. Um, and they're going to have a discussion about something of very, uh, very much of importance to to both the gentlemen. If you saw his uh, tweets over the course of the last uh, 48 hours, hours or so. Uh, He's been really trying to drill down on the uh, education sector in South Africa. What's going wrong and what can we uh, do? Went so far as uh, to call for the resignation of the Minister of Basic uh, Education, but I'm going to get out of the hot seat for that discussion and let him handle it squarely. Um, For now, though, I would love you to tell me, I mean, we started the show with Huma Sigela Stimela, which uh, was your choice, and I would love to play Mom Miriam Magheb Aluta Continua, uh, also one of your choices this morning. Why those particular songs? What what resonates with you with those particular artists? You know, I as a child of Soweto, that that particular song, Spimela. Mm. Uh, first of all, uh, my father is a big jazz fan. In fact, the majority of music I still listen to today is is jazz in all its in different iterations. You know, South African, international, etc. And bands like Bobrachu, Bosimela, Borech, Kapapiri, Aputimpare, were all the lexicon of music that featured a lot in my household. Mm. And whenever you heard Stimela, uh, just that humor um, the trumpet, the history, and the tapestry of what was going on in our country. I mean, we didn't grow up in a wealthy home. My father worked for a for a factory, so it felt always like metaphorically at six o'clock in the morning you'd have all of these taxis ferrying fathers from Soweto to back then for Nandi they were near the town and off they would go work there and then come back in the evening and it didn't matter there was no differentiated income in the street it was kind of like your father is all our fathers worked together and therefore all income was pretty similar and the challenges were all similar. So to me, it is such a, you know, like it's like one of those songs that gives you a deep reminder of something. It's a bit like watching a plate of food with seven colors on it. <laughs> it can only have reference to Sunday in Doxenville with Beetroot. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's such a, it is, it is what our country is about. And, mm. um, and for me, that particular song has always been, you know, such a, I, it's, a it's in some ways a tribute to my own father who gave us values that said to us, look, yeah, you've got to do your best to fight for what goes on in this country. Mm. But it's also a tribute to the fathers of Soweto because so many of them spent their lives. I mean, the song is about mining and mm. where that comes from. It doesn't change the economic picture. That, that was painted and so I really it is indeed one of my favorite in fact Clark you uh, was one of my favorite artists I think um, that South Africa has ever produced and a global icon indeed you know.
awesome. That uh, is uh, Musi Maimani. He's standing by for the rest of the hour. Uh, our lines are open uh, if you want to uh, try and steal in a question or two or three at some point. But uh, we might not get around to it because he's about to engage in uh, a quite uh, pertinent conversation around education in South Africa. For now, though, let's play another great South African legend, uh, Miriam Mageba with Aluta Continua. So there's certain aspects, uh, you know, that my career has afforded me particular privileges, um, which I don't take for granted and, and moments that really even sometimes I look back and go, okay, you are divinely favored in this moment right here. And you got to thank the, the career path that you've chosen. As the song plays, it's one of my favorite songs. Mozambique is one of my favorite people, my uh, places. My people have heritage in Mozambique. Um, but one of my favorite memories was early 2019 and having been invited uh, to go spend Easter's with the, the Marshalls and being at Mama Grasha Marshall's home that she shares with her family and she shared with former president uh, Nelson Mandela. And this song playing... And her then singing and dancing along to the song was the absolute highlight, probably top three best highlight moments of my life. Never forget it. Uh, That video is securely stored in my hard drive, never going anywhere. (laughs) We are hanging out with uh, one South African movement leader and founder, Musi Maimani, who's the first guest presenter for uh, 2022 on Jet Set Breakfast. Um, And uh, we've just literally just been getting to know him a little bit better and before we, we, we move on, I asked you for your favorite books and you sent me two books. And amongst them was the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr. and In Roll Doll's Car. Uh, two very, very different books. Why these two? Well, um, firstly, I, it's just when you look at the life of Martin Luther King, I mean, here's, here's someone who I come from a deep faith. I come from, you know, I, I'm a Christian. I, I love God. Mm-hmm. And yet I've always felt that my faith cannot be confined in a sanitized environment simply of church. It needed to be something that impacts society. And mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. articulated a vision of non-racialism and pursued it and paid with his life for it. Mm. And I think, you know, the struggle, the, the, you know, when I listen to that song by, by Miriam Makeba, you, the struggle is a global issue. You know, sometimes mm. I think in South Africa, we tend to treat ourselves with a degree of exceptionalism. Mm. And that's necessary. But in other aspects, it isn't all that necessary. Because in truth, as Martin Luther King was articulating a vision for uh, for non-racialism in the U.S., Nelson Mandela was being detained in the Ravonia trial, articulating a vision. Mm. Others have taken the journey forward, people like Steve Pico. And even today, when I think about that song by Miriam Makeba, was articulating a struggle that was taking place in Mozambique, mm. moving, sweeping through as Oliver Tambo was traveling into um, Zamb- um, 
Zambia, Zimbabwe, and then South Africa was last. Mm. And I think history does happen to repeat itself across the globe. If you think about the 90s, change was occurring all over the world. The, the collapse of the Berlin Wall cannot be separated from Tiananmen Square, mm. cannot be separated from what was even happening here with the release of Nelson Mandela, etc. And now, when I think about 2020, 2019, 2020, you can't separate the fact that here is a new Malawian president being elected, here is a Lesotho new prime minister has come on board, the Zambian president has come on board, Zimbabwe goes to elections next, and I think the rest uh, will follow suit as South mm. Africa. So I think history always has these sweeping moments, and I think we are living through one. And and the second book was, was, was a book um, called Cast, mm. and I love that book because for the first time it gave us language globally about what it would be um, for us, that racism and mm. race and class are historical concepts, but they all share the same features. Mm, mm. And Isabel Wilkinson um, does such an unbelievable job of identifying key features of how oppression works globally. Mm. That, in fact, when you, I think in the book, she articulates almost the six pillars mm. that uphold caste systems. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the blueprint of apartheid, you can see the same pillars in place. You look at Nazism, you can see the same pillars in place. You look at what happens in the U.S., you can see the same pillars in place. And you realize that actually, in some ways, discrimination has a formula. Mm. And if we can break down part of that formula and understanding that to dehumanize another human being is to move away from Ubuntu, whether mm. that's in Germany, America, South Africa, all of it is the same feature. That, mm. that, so, so for me, those books at least have helped shape mm. part of my thinking about the world. And I think I'm privileged enough to have lived through a time such as this one where we are now, if you like, hitting the reset button on the world. I think what SARS-COVID has done mm. has asked us some really honest questions about what kind of world we want to see. And mm. that to me is exciting. Now, the next part of our conversation uh, is where you then get to introduce us to uh, a friend of yours or someone close to you uh, and take over the convo for the next 10 minutes. And I know that you guys are going to be focusing on uh, education. So let me get out of your way for a little bit as uh, you go right ahead and guest present. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We do this. We do this even on spaces, but it's, <laughs> it's my absolute privilege to to have with us our next guest, someone who I can proudly claim I taught how to write the number two <laughs> in primary school, and uh, a South African who's contributed to the media landscape, uh, a, a, a great uh, black, consciousness, uh, black consciousness advocate and a close friend of mine, Although he would deny that publicly, so I guess on this platform, and that's why I get to go first. None other than Tabo Shola Mashao. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Arangani. Good morning to the listeners of SAFM. It's it's a wonderful privilege to be speaking to you on this platform. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's great to have you, uh, Mr. Tibos. I guess uh, there's so much that happens in this country, and yesterday, obviously, mm. you had a a chance a little bit just to watch the January 8th statement. How did you find it? What did you think? And I and I want to get into a discussion about education, but like, sure. but like, how did you find it? 
Well, you know, I, I thought the, the, the background would really matter because, you know, as ANC celebrated its birthday yesterday, the 110th uh, birthday, it celebrated it on the backdrop of a number of things. The recent local government elections where they came out wounded, uh, not only by voters, but by coalition um, negotiations. Uh, it also came out on the backdrop of um, the ANC being bruised and bleeding from the release of the Zondo Commission report. So there was a myriad of issues. It, it, uh, the president ascended the stage uh, politically limping because there was so there was so much that was happening uh, on the background. And uh, the statement I found it to be more or less of the same. And I don't want to be too much of a critic, uh, but it, I found it more or less the same. I think there was a missed opportunity in saying we have done wrong. This is what we have done wrong. And on our birthday. We are disgraced and humbling ourselves to say that we have done wrong. It was not a day of platitudes, not when the country is going through so much. Uh, but I found it to be a campaigning exercise. Um, and, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Elections are coming around uh, in 2024. But I thought it was a missed opportunity to say to South Africans, let's turn a new leaf. And we are here. Be- uh, we are in this mess because of us. Uh, we should have done things better. Let, uh, there was lack of admission. Instead, he says some people are saying that the ANC is on its knees. Actually, the ANC lives and the ANC leads. I thought that was uh, being tone deaf on the side of the president. But other than that, uh, there were key things that were articulated, which one can uh, reflect on uh, how they want to uh, strengthen uh, the state to have a competent state. And unity, unity and renewal were the underpinnings of uh, yesterday's speech. So I'm taking my political analyst head off now, and uh, (laughs) uh, I don't want to go into that mode, but I I thought uh, it's very important if uh, we have a leader's aid in society to admit to its shortcomings. And yesterday was a missed opportunity. Now, I mean, one of, for me, the the great omission, and the the job here is not to talk about the ANC in some ways, but but I thought there was a great omission around education. In fact, the word wasn't mentioned um, uh, at all, other than in the sense that there's a commission being set up to look at South Africa 2032, uh, and perhaps that issue might come up there. But mm. as you know, I'm passionate about education. Uh, Tawe yeah. and I studied together. In fact, we yeah. we were co co study partners for our metric exams. For <laughs> <laughs> metric exams, yes, yes. <laughs> drinking a lot of uh, Coca Cola, addicted to it at the time, just to go we, through. We I live on Macquina and Coca Cola. And that's one I, of the reasons I'm still addicted to it by right, right now. And thanks to you. <laughs> but I find uh, a, a taboo that that omission. You mm-hmm. can't plan a future of a nation without thinking about its education. And I. As you know, I've been advocating a lot for the, mm, you know, mm. scrapping of the 30% pass mark because mm. I find it unacceptable that our young people could, in any particular subject, become, mm. be, be affirmed to be capable of mm. or having achieved competence at mm. 30%. And I would make the case to say some of it says to me that we failed to create a vision that says, how do we address a historical injustice that was bequeathed to us through Bantu education? But how do we take the last 27 years and say, are we producing learners of the future? 
So mm. I don't know mm. from your perspective, yeah. why is it that the education discussion doesn't always feature right at the top of our agenda as a country? Mm. And maybe mm. it's part of the reason that I'm certainly wanting to put it there because I think it's fundamental to the development of any country. Mm. Mm. Yet we spend the biggest chunk of our uh, national budget on education. However, we do not necessarily prioritize it as a key to uh, dealing with a number of factors in our society, including poverty, inequality, uh, and, and, and so on. So, But I think uh, you spot on, Ms. Yes, you and I are speaking right now. We know that um, according to uh, Dr. Padilo Hosha and uh, other statisticians out there, they would tell us that it's uh, a huge number, if anything else, about a million of children uh, do not get to grade 12 because they would have dropped out along the way. That's a huge number. Unemployment is intricately linked to education. And the type of education also matters. It's not just about uh, education, but the type of education that we get also matters. And you and I are talking right now, over 7 million young people between the ages of 15 and 35 are unemployed. And many of them are unemployable. And amongst those, you also find black graduates. Black graduates. And the unemployment scenario is so sad, and I, uh, it's, it's also so linked to education. And I'll make this last point about it, that a number of those, I mean, uh, unemployment rate in South Africa for, 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 for white people, it's about 9%. And it's, 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 it's relatively far lesser than what we have uh, for black people, which is uh, over 35%. And that just tells us that all these issues that we're talking about earlier on of inequality, uh, they are still prevalent and they can be resolved by education. One, if we make sure that we prioritize quality education because it is the only escape mode for someone who stays in Bramfisha, someone who stays in uh, Alexander, for some, for a young girl in Guamashu out there, if we focus on them, give them proper education and expand their minds and give them uh, tools not just to have a certificate but to be innovative enough in order for them to create something for themselves then we will be getting somewhere so i i know you're passionate about this issue of education and i'm hoping that it can be taken seriously because Yes, indeed, uh, the Department of Education will tell you that the 30% uh, de- debate has been misconstrued. What they mean is you can't pass if uh, you only get 30% for all subjects. You must at least get 40% on three, on four subjects before, uh, then for, for the others, if you get 30, you will then pass. But nonetheless, that's a low benchmark for ourselves. We are not expanding our horizons. We are not being ambitious. Can you imagine if we were to say to our kids, study and study and study, study hard, uh, and, and I'm the first to admit, academia is not for everyone, but at least at that level, elementary level, when you have the green light, when you have the basics, the numeracy, reading to comprehend, that's when you can then expand to other things, even if you want to do uh, woodwork, even if you want to do uh, steel cutting, but the basis, if we get the basics right, we will get somewhere. No, and, and absolutely, the great challenge is once you ask someone to get 30%, you know, human nature says yeah. that unless you want to, you ask ourselves better, we tend to resort to the lowest common denominator. So you end up 
with teachers mm. who are teaching to 30%. You end up with... Mm. Um, mm. I, I, and, and, and I think you don't ask better of your learners. You don't ask, you don't ask for... You know, you don't say to kids, here's, 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 here's your esteem, here's your dignity, you can achieve higher. And one of the things that I think in caste is that you realize that actually, if you give uh, the circumstances of your birth, can often in this country determine the quality of education that you get. And the net consequence mm. of that is that we perpetuate mm. caste systems by simply allowing certain learners, if by privilege of money you can get a good education, mm. and by mm. being poor, being rural, you end up mm. with an education system that, that relegates you to a particular caste for mm. your life. Now, from mm. people's side, you know, I, this is something that I'm deeply, deeply passionate about. And I know I've been bold enough to call for Menji to step down. But I think there's a broad conversation about how do we build. I'm going to ask you one question and then because I'm really trying to understand as a, you know, like in Orlando Pirates, you are <laughs> Orlando Pirates supporter. I mean, this, these are the flaws of our education system. <laughs> no one is perfect. <laughs> but I want to understand the political landscape this year. I mean, surely we head towards 2024. One of the things that are going to be harder about this country is that for many South Africans, they are calling out for an alternative. They're saying to me, they're saying to many, hey, how do we build something so that we can begin to address these challenges? Because it's no use talking mm. about all of them. Yeah. We need to be able to do that. Maybe you can give us some thoughts about how you view that and then we'll wrap this conversation up. Yeah, I'll try to be very brief as to how, what, what, I, I mean, it's very easy to sit on my chair and uh, point out at all the mistakes, the difficulties trying to be involved and uh, trying to come up with uh, concrete solutions. One, uh, it, it, it has been proved it has been proven many, many times that if parents and families are involved in their children's education, it would affect at least more than 20% of the child's marks if parents and family members are involved. So it starts right there before I even take it to Mama Angie right at the top. It starts with the immediate family members. The child comes back from school. You look at the books. You look, you ask critical questions. They see that you're interested in the education. They also um, move up uh, a, little, a little bit further to say that I know dad is going to ask me. I know mom is going to ask me. So let me try to do my best. The community around us, the child is working around, not going to school in a uniform at 11 o'clock during the day. Uh, you need to ask questions. Uh, and they are roving around malls. We need to ask questions. Why are you not at school? And they may be writing exams. And I'm not asking. I'm not ask, uh, suggesting that we need to be policing our kids and living in a military state. But the community involvement matters. The teachers must be properly uh, 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 remunerated uh, in order for them to incentivize. But they too have a responsibility of not being like last about their careers. It's a calling. It's not a job. It is a calling of educating society. If you're a teacher and you just don't care, you arrive late at school and uh, uh, your, your standards are very low, the learners are going to learn from you. So it's a whole societal thing. I don't only want to point at the government and say, of course, they've got a legislative and many other uh, functionaries to uh, take care of, but it also starts with us. You and I 
contribute donating and you're talking about your favorite books earlier on donating books to some of the schools that we went to some of the schools that are in need not just books but because also poverty linked to education if we then say this i'm going to try and help four children so that they have meals so that they have uh, better looking school shoes that does something to the confidence of the child and they're able to absorb uh, the content in a classroom but there's a lot and you know uh, we can go on all day about education, given that you're so passionate about it. But let me look at that. No, I'm I'm calling on all people uh, uh, to to really sign the petition because yes, 30 percent isn't going to is not the only issue in education, but it certainly is a signalling point yeah. uh, to sure. say here we can reform the system. Bratibos, I'm always deeply honored to um, to have a conversation with you and uh, obviously uh, celebrate you and the work that you are doing and wish you great success. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for speaking so candidly about things and hopefully your team this year will... Uh, I know I know Orlando Pirates are having such a tough season, <laughs> but I hope that things will turn out for the better. And, uh, People... I think I people know you're a Cajun fan, so the cattle calling the pot black is something else. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. My great honor. Thanks so much for coming Thank here. You. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, enlightening us a little bit further uh, on this uh, uh, very hot potato topic in South Africa. And of course, uh, getting to hear it from the perspective of, uh, you know, not only um, uh, allies in advocating for for education, but also uh, lifelong childhood friends. Uh, Musi, before I let you go, and it's been such an honor to to talk to you as our first guest of a guest presenter this year. Let me just ask you quick quick in terms of the psyche of of south africans out there uh, where are you gauging it at the moment and what do you think can be done in order for us to to just better our situation moving forward yeah i think for many south africans I, there's a genuine sense of nervousness um i think for many people you know i don't even have to uh, ha- take a guess at it. If mm. you did a random poll to say, do you think the country is heading in the right direction or or a wrong direction? Mm. Many South Africans say we think we're heading in the wrong direction. Mm. And I think, given given that, I I think it's the mother who is in who is in Soweto who's right now sitting in the dark without electricity, who's, who's worried. It's the mm. it's the young person who finished maybe is waiting for matric results but frankly whether they get them uh, now or later they join the line of the unemployed and i think it's the fact that we've lost public trust another thing is you know when a nation goes through difficult times what it needs is the stability of leadership to say whilst however tough it is now there's a light at the end of the tunnel Mm. and i think at the moment south africans are losing trust in public leadership because whilst we might read the Zondo Commission and read this and read that, all of those things collectively say to people, but can we genuinely trust these leaders with Mm. our future? And I think for many people, they're anxious about that. And what I would urge, rather than looking to the political parties in a messianic sense, Mm. that it is time for us as South Africans to say, how do we how do we take up the the cause of our country? Mm. I think I'd like to invite civic society.
to say now is the time to stand up and say, what do you demand of this country and how can we usher in change? Mm. To ask churches, to ask business, because I think those actors represent the majority of people in this country. They represent not only the 17 million who don't vote, but they represent actually where things matter the most. They, they live in communities. And I think we've got to heighten activism in our country. That's why for us, even at One South Africa, I'm very conscious of activism. I, I don't say let's wait for the government. We didn't just go out and put learning centers for students because we've got mm. nothing else to do. It's because I want to make it clear that in your little bit, you can do something. And, and I think the more we can, do, we can do that, then we stop being beholden to political parties and political parties know invariably that um, this is something that they need to be aware of, the fact that citizens are taking up their rightful place. And I will be right there with them because I really believe in this country. And we can either be paralyzed by fear or we can overcome by being activists who can seek to bring change. And I I think the the time is now. I couldn't have said it better myself. That was uh, One South Africa Movement leader, uh, Musi Maimani, our guest presenter this morning uh, from us and the team. Thank you so much for choosing once again to uh, be with us. We leave you now, Donny Hathaway, just a little bit, uh, as chosen by Mr. Tabo, uh, Musi's lifelong friend, who uh, was just joining the latter bit of the conversation. KG is coming up at 10 o'clock with Seasons, and Zolega is going to bring you the 10 o'clock news update. From myself, inshallah, God willing, we get to do it again.